Military veterans have the right set of skills to become programmers. Technical expertise, emotional resilience, psychological persistence, and teamwork. These are the qualities of the U.S. Army, and they are the qualities of the best programmers. More and more veterans who leave the Army are becoming coders, and the mission of Operation Code is to help veterans make that transition. Dave Molina is the founder of Operation Code. His organization helps Army veterans become coders. Dave and I discussed coding boot camps, military, software education, and what it's like to become a civilian technologist after spending years in the Army. If you are a fan of Software Engineering Daily, we want to know how to improve. Please take five minutes to fill out our listener survey. There is a link to the survey in our newsletter and on our website. We would love to know what you think, what you want to hear more of, and equally important, what you want to hear less of. We read all of the feedback we get, so please go to softwareengineeringdaily.com and fill out the survey. Help us build the best software podcast for you. David Molina is a former U.S. Army captain and the founder of Operation Code. Dave, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, thanks for the thanks for the welcome, Jeff. Glad to be here. In your last year of active duty with the U.S. Army, you applied to a code school, and you were getting ready to return to the world outside of the military. The future was bright, but you had a problem. Tell me about that problem. I applied to code school, and I could not, for the life of me, use my new GI Bill. Um, and I... And I couldn't use my new GI Bill. So <laughs> it's kind of really sucked. You know, my, my future was bright up until I couldn't use it. So I had to figure out another way to fund my way to go to school. And as a result, I went ahead and started the business. So we should talk here about the accreditation process. What is accreditation? Accreditation is a lengthy process. Uh, it's from what I hear from code schools, every single director across the country has uh, shared their there are pains with it. It is a pain. I wish there was a software as a startup or a software as a service, a SaaS company focus on it within the federal government, directly in the White House fixing that problem because it is holding back 250,000 Americans who have served in uniform uh, who are exiting the services annually to get these technical skill sets in an accelerated learning platform in a way that helps fill uh, America's technical talent shortage. We shouldn't be uh, reliant on you know guys overseas. You know, come into America. We have guys here in America who are ready to take these positions. And so it is a hindrance. And it should be something that should be prioritized at the White House on down. But it simply so, isn't. So accreditation is a process where uh, uh, a for-profit or non-profit organization uh, seeks accreditation from their given state, wherever they're headquartered from. Uh, they have to fill out lengthy paperwork. It is all paperwork. It is all printed. You have to type it out. You have to fill it out and you have to sign it. Uh, it isn't as easy as starting a Facebook page. You complete your, your accreditation at your state level, uh, and there are visits. There are requirements for tuition, uh, guarantee, job placement. There's a number of different criteria that you have to meet uh, the institution. If you are lucky enough to be accredited by your state, then you have to wait a period of time uh, then to apply for VA accreditation, Veterans Affairs, accreditation in order that's our aim 
in order for you, your organization to uh, be um, eligible to accept veterans and have those veterans use their education benefit that he or she has earned as a result of their you know, time in uniform. So to clarify, what you're saying is that you were not able to use the GI Bill for a code school because the code school was not accredited by the VA. 99.99% of the code schools that we are all aware of, that we have come to know and realize that are graduating awesome uh, folks across the country, are not um, accredited and cannot accept veterans through the GI Bill. Right. So you're right. I could not use my 100% education benefit. I could go study to be HVAC mechanic, you know, heater ventilation and air conditioning. I could go do a uh, Harley Davidson school. I could go be a barber, but I couldn't do it to go to the Flatiron Code School. Uh, I couldn't use it to go to Code Fellows. I couldn't use it to go to Epicodus here in Portland. So what is Operation Code? So Operation Code is a coding nonprofit focused on helping active military, guard and reserve, citizen soldiers, veterans, and military spouses learn to code, to build software to change the world. Uh, we are a beyond a coding nonprofit. We're an open source project, essentially. Uh, our website is entirely, can be edited online by contributors. We, that's essentially how we started. Um, we're also a petition. We're a movement, right? We're about uh, advocating to members of Congress to uh, look at this new phenomenon, this new world that we live in, which is education uh, by web, uh, you know, um, edu- through MIT and Harvard and Berkeley, they made this famous, this thing called MOOCs, this ability for you to get training online. In the military, we're, we're all accustomed to it, right? We're sitting at our desks, whether you're in Kandahar or you're at Dover Air Force Base, and screen pops up and you're going to do, you know, uh, SMART or, or you're going to do sexual harassment training, right? And you're going to do it on the computer. We're all very used to remote education distance learning. We all are. In fact, if you're an officer in the military, if you promoted a major, you need a master's degree. A good number of my friends went to Webster's or got a degree from, you know, uh, Strayer or whoever, online university. So we're all used to online training. And so we are, um, uh, we are a, a open source nonprofit in that sense that individuals that we uh, want to contribute, vets or non-vets, can make updates to our website and help us improve our outreach and make it better. What aspects of having gone through the military translate well to becoming a knowledge worker? Well, there's a, a number of them. Obviously, the obvious ones, right? Leadership, um, you know, the ability to lead from the front, uh, the ability to take directions well. Uh, you have a strong discipline uh, workforce. You, obviously, your work ethic is right there, uh, right there in line. Um, you have this undying passion and, 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 uh, and patriotism for your country. And so when it comes to, you know, being a knowledge worker and ability to advance forward your country, uh, we all want to make sure as patriots, we want to advance our country, make sure we're the premier leader in the world. And so all of those tie in really well with being a knowledge worker. Uh, most importantly, being a knowledge worker is the ability to be able to uh, not just contribute to society and retrain your, your, your fellow brothers and sisters and those around us. Uh, as military, we're all keen to that. You know, as former NCOs and former uh, officers, uh, we're all about training those around us. Uh, that is very much, a, 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 you know, something huge in, in the knowledge worker environment where you have to mentor others. You're going to do hack and helps. Uh, you're going to make sure those around you don't get left behind. If you're going to, you know, pair on a problem, you're going to pair together. You're not going to do it alone. It's the same kind of thing that we're all used to in the military. So uh, it's all very, very similar skill sets. They all transcend well. The teacher who taught me the most about how to work effectively as a coder was not a computer science PhD uh, professor type. 
he was an ex Navy guy who was an instructor at uh, the the college that I went to. Uh, his name was Mike Scott. And I got the sense that much of his effectiveness as a teacher came from the nature of that background, that militaristic ex-Navy background. There was this stuff like dependability and honesty and meeting deadlines and writing really, really clear emails. And it turns out this stuff is often even more important than writing code that compiles the first time. Is that consistent with your experience? It is. Uh, you don't have to come in and, um, from what I gather, you know, in, in my time in the service and now out here, to, you need to be a great person. You know, what I got the sense of when I went to my first RailsCon in 2013 as a scholarship recipient here in Portland, you just, ha- you just have to be a good person. You just have to be somebody who can empathize. And I think in the military, those are th- skill sets that we're all trained on. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're a young private just coming in, or you're, you know, older, you're the sergeant major of the army, or whatever rank you are. You have to empathize with the people. You know, here we are being asked to serve far away from our family, far away from our church. Doesn't matter where we are. We all volunteered, yes, and we're going to go work with others that we don't even know who they are, what life background they had, experiences, um, and so those are the things that I have seen, at least in software, that you just got to want to care. He's going to want to change the world and this magical thing of, of, of coding and building. It's, it's about taking people that are just genuine and they want to do and they want to build something. They want to solve real pains, real problems out there. And this skill set of technology of, of software development, most of it uh, you can build um, with very limited. I mean, you could build this thing on YouTube. You can build it going after code school. And, uh, and you really, you really have to you have to really come with that heart, and I think that's what what's so cool about it is that what I have found and the greatest mentor that we have, even our board of directors, um, one guy is self taught, Fernando Paredes. This guy is self taught. Um, a number of our of our board members are self taught. Uh, folks who are within our organization uh, are self taught as well. I have found that those that are self taught didn't get degrees and PhDs in computer science are the the best mentors that we have, and those are what I'm finding out. Um, there is another, there isn't just this source. The, the, I think what we started when we founded uh, in 2014, that, that code school was the avenue. And I think that's prim- principally true for a lot of us who served in uniform. We need that structural discipline. We need that we need the classroom environment. We need a pair. And I think that's true for a lot of us. But let's not kid ourselves. That's not the only way to learn. And as you pointed out, you don't need a degree in computer science and PhDs to do that. You can, you can be self-taught. You can go to meetups. You can go to Rails meetups. You can go to a Rails conference. You can go to EmberConf. You can go to all these conferences and literally pull out your computer, get somebody to pair with you, and uh, and you can go right ahead and start building apps, real world apps. Uh, you know, I think it's beyond just syntax and you know lines of code and what they do. It's more about solving problems, right, and getting to that solution. And I think that's what's so wonderful. I think that's what I'm finding out within Operation Code in our community is that we're, we're already problem solvers, and we're just trying to be problem solvers. Uh, in the web. What's your own history with code? I um, did a website like all of us did in high school. and We had the old Macs, uh, and it was for a project for migrant uh, students. And it was with Mr. Sedgwick, and um, I. it was first HTML. It was like tables, you know, and we did it. And I built like little before GIFs, you know, and you did it, you know. And I really liked it, uh, but then I enlisted and that led to the path of wanting to be a lawyer. <laughs> and so I kind of 
gave away from it, but I knew what I was doing. I knew enough HTML to, to sort of be dangerous, as they say. And uh, when I was a young private assigned to a drill sergeant unit here in Salem, uh, the commander, the colonel, was like, well, we need to recruit more drill sergeants. We have a problem recruiting drill sergeants, and uh, we need a website. Dave, can you jump into the code base to, to this? She called it the, the platform. She goes, can you jump into the platform and just write in there my name, my, my address? And I know enough about breaks. I know enough about, you know, uh, uh, paragraphs. And, you know, and, and so I did enough to just set her up. And so I did. It was just straight up HTML. And there was no fancy bootstrap. There was no JavaScript. It was just, just straight up HTML. And so that was my introduction even in the military. And I couldn't get away from it, to be honest with you. Somehow, somewhere, it always led me back to it, but always on the CMS platform. Uh, my last second to my last assignment, I got introduced to something called .NET Nuke, which the Air Force uses as a platform to uh, update all its websites for the Air Force DoD. And so it was all CMS, and I got to do marquee scrolls. And I had to update these things every morning for the soldiers, um, and that was pretty cool. Uh, and then when I got out, I wanted to, um, you know, really, really go beyond just CMS, and so I started building. Um, <laughs> I started building an app, and I got stuck. It's a Rails app, and I got stuck with the scaffolding and you know, going into the logs. And at that point, it was in 2014 that I, I decided to reapply to code school. I had done it in 2012 before I got active duty. And in 2014, I did it again. And that's when they said, dude, you can't accept the GI Bill. We still can't. It's two years later. And that's what led me on the path to sort of ask the question, am I the only one asking this question or are there others? And when they said, no, Dave, there's a third of you asking this question every month. And that's when I sort of stopped and paused my own path and my own trajectory, what I was building, and thought, whoa, 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 this is, this is kind of wrong, you know? Mm. You guys had two years, and you still aren't anywhere near where you're supposed to be. And so I started asking every other code school, and that's when it led me on this path of thinking about my own development of learning to code, my own way of going to RailsCon, my own way, just my own path to go to these things and learn, to creating other avenues for other vets across the globe to also follow that path and help them get on that path and do it in a way that's expeditious, in a way that is community-driven and volunteer-driven. Some of the people that are pursuing software jobs did computer-related work while they were in the military. How does the type of computer-related work that people do in the military compare to the world of software engineering outside of the military? Yeah, they call him, uh, you know, in the Air Force, they have him. My brother-in-law, he's, he's a network systems guy in the Air Force, new guy. Uh, in the Army, they're called table dogs. You know, they set up your, uh, your infrastructure and your satellites and your com- communications, your commsware, you know, and your communications for across the globe to, to be remote, to communicate between one brigade and another securely and encrypted, right? Uh, um, I think those skill sets translate well uh, with the software development. But I think what translates... Even more, what I have seen, at least within Operation Code, it's a diverse set. I, we're seeing a lot of infantry, a lot of grunts join um, because obviously, you know, being an infantryman doesn't translate well out here in the, in the real world. Uh, but they have a, a thirst for getting shit done, you know, getting stuff done. And I think that's, that translates well with software development. <laughs> you can't quit, you know, you, you can't throw the computer out the window. You just have to get through that problem. You have to Google it, you have to search it. And you're, you're going to be relentless. And, and you're not one to give in at all. It's not in your vocabulary. You just don't quit. So I've seen that really well with, with a lot of folks. Uh, the folks, when we first started Operation Code, uh, gentleman was an in infantry. Uh, I mean, uh, James Davis. 
Um, even afterwards, Lucas, uh, Siafi, Ranger officer, you know, out of the East Coast, just a ton of people. I find that people that were in combat arms are the ones that are so relentless and so, you know, mission driven that they're the ones that are pushing through and getting it done. Uh, beyond that, I think that people within the military who have been exposed to software or at least uh, maybe some HTML, maybe the CMS platform are going to have a better understanding. They're not going to have such a learning curve as, as maybe grunts and infantrymen. But I think all around the generation that we have now, post 9-11, people are exposed to computers regardless if you were, you know, if you grew up with it at home. When you get on active duty, um, so much of active duty, so much of the Guard and Reserve is centered around computers. You have to, I mean, that's the generation that we live in now, which is why it translates so well with software development. You're going to have a better chance. The generation of today, post 9-11, will have a better chance than those that were pre-9-11. I say that because guys are coming to us who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s, just having a little bit tougher time, right? Uh, With typing, just normal skill sets, typing, navigating. It's the guys that are post-9-11 that have an easier, they're better acclimated to, to a computer. They can find the finder. They know what the search bar is. Uh, they know how to, um, you know, update the software. They, all kinds of things that they know how to do. They're more doing it. Uh, the other thing is, is because in the military, you know, you're, you're so away from home. You're used to FaceTime. You're used to Skype. Similar tools that you're going to use when you're doing software development. You already, you already know the tools of the trade. Skype, uh, FaceTime. And so when you pair with somebody and you're going to use, say, Skype <laughs> or FaceTime or whatever, mostly Skype, then you're already used to these tools. And so I'm finding that that, 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 is, that is pretty, pretty close to it. So the past few years have given rise to these code schools and these coding boot camps. In your impression, how do these differ from the types of education that we're used to in the past, like university education? Well, they differ greatly. Uh, first of all, first of all, the, the university system is very much um, centered on that campus environment. I know because I'm a graduate of Oregon State. Um, I barely got in there. Um, I got in there through a program that allowed sons of migrant farm workers to get in and, uh, and, uh, and sort of low income. And so I barely got in. I mean, I don't even know how I got in. I think somebody pulled somebody's teeth while I applied. Uh, I went to community college before that, and that was very much the campus environment. And I barely graduated that community college. I barely got into community college. I barely graduated high school, actually. Um, that whole process is centered on the campus environment. And much like the military, it's about classes. It's about going into a lecture hall. Somebody's going to give a workshop. Code schools are a little bit different in the sense that they're both online and offline, right? Um, if you are lucky enough to apply to, say, code fellows here in Seattle and you get accepted, it's all class-based environment, whether it's in Seattle or it's in Portland. We have a Portland branch just on the street. And you will sit there, you will have lectures on the smart board, very similar to the military. And you're going to sit down, you have a MacBook Air, or maybe you're running a a PC, God forbid, but let's say you're running a Mac, and you're going to follow along the classroom, right? And you're going to follow along with the lecture and instructor for the first half day. Then you go into the afternoon, and you're going to do classroom, you know, projects with your peers. Um, You're going to be able to ask questions, very similar to the military. But it's based on this sort of process of building while you learn. And you're not really waiting to graduate to use your skill set. Actually building your skill set as you go. And so that differs greatly because when you come in and you're, you're in a course, let's say like at Pocotus here in Portland, you're four months. Well, you're three months classroom with the, with the pair program, with, another, with your peer. And that, by the way, is one iMac, two OU. And you're actually building something. And as you're going and you're building it, 
you're seeing your work, you're progressing. You're writing, when we say lines of code, we're actually saying lines of, I would say like literature, right? Because it's all in English. There's nothing Chinese about it. There's nothing Mexican about it. It's all in English. So as long as you can speak English, you can, you can learn to code. And you're, you're writing your literature. You're writing in this, in your, on the screen in your computer. And when everybody says you're pushing lines of code up, you're pushing, you're basically authoring is the best way to say it, right, in English. You're authoring your literature. You're authoring your narrative. And you're pushing it up, bring your story. And you're doing it, and you're, and, and you're moving it in a direction, in a location where everybody can see it. If it's open source, and let's hope you are, and you're you're putting it there, and your 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 person who's next to you is also seeing it, so they're hovering over your shoulder. They can see what you're doing, and as you're doing it, you're learning, and you're building something. It could be a, a web application, which nine times out of ten it might be, and so you're doing it, and you're seeing your work. You're you're making changes, right, to the behavior of how the application responds with so JavaScript, right, and you're making changes and. The guy to your left, your gal, he's like, oh, that's good. How about we do this? How about we do this? And you're making. Now, let's just say that you get stuck. He jumps on the computer, and he makes a couple changes to the narrative, and he changes the story. And now you have two of you working on it. But three months into it, you're done, right? You're done with not just the classroom environment. You're ready for the real work experience. So now at the fourth month, day 91, Michael, founder of Epicodus, sends you off on your merry way to Puppet Labs or you know Airbnb or whoever, and you get an internship, right? You get to work with the real-world client. The skill sets that you've learned. So you take in something where, where I, for example, got a degree in political science that waited, that did it for four years, you know, three years at Oregon State, two years community college, you get five years, and you do it in an accelerated way where you're actually building and learning something as you go in three months. So literally like one, I don't even know math, like one 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 hundredth of the time frame, right? And and not only are you ready for the workplace. Because this is a high demand skill, and we need folks that are technically savvy, but you're ready to go on day 91. Mm-hmm. Whereas graduate college, you graduate, and you're not even ready half the times, right? Um, we just have a, an upside down formula. We have, you know, as I call it, we have structural unemployment in this country, right? We're, we're forcing people to go into these institutions that are in sometimes archaic uh, and to go into a job force that is archaic in an environment that is archaic. And it doesn't respond to 21st century demands. Um, and we are, our country has fallen further, further behind, not just in like Oregon, for example, 45th in the country education wise, but just around the globe in terms of innovation and economy. Right. right. Um, and so those are, those are some subtle differences. Those are just sort of high level. Some yeah. Person- no, the, the structural unemployment term, I, I like that term. That's, that's really compelling. Software engineering daily has done a number of shows about, the career rebirth that people often have through coding schools um, and through other means, you know, MOOCs, for example. Um, And also Obama just announced a $4 billion investment in computer science, saying that computer science is the future. Um, Do you think that we're transitioning to a completely knowledge worker economy? Well, I would hope so. I would hope so. Um, You know, can can we ever replace, say, farm workers with robots? Um, I don't know. Uh, you, you have seen a dent in it. Um, you know, John Deere is making a ton of investment in software. Uh, their machines are, in some instances, are smarter than they were, you know, five, ten years ago. Uh, they can pick up climate. They can pick up wind. They can pick up uh, soil and, uh, and uh, um, you know, um, the same thing with what you're seeing with um, uh, 
just in general uh, in construction, folks are deploying their cats. Uh, they can they can visually see, you know, and they're automated in some instances. You're seeing it in logging in some instances, you know. You've seen that video with YouTube where that robot comes up and it attacks that, uh, takes on that log of that tree and it goes up and down, it cuts it, stumps it, brings it down. I mean, this is what they're doing with logging, right? So you've replaced literally from 100 years ago, even 50 years, even 20 years ago, uh, a 30-man crew with just maybe one excavator with this, with this machine, right? Um, I don't know if you will ever be able to replace all labor. I don't think that's, that's, that's possible. But you most certainly can replace a lot of the things that are automated. We're seeing that in the restaurant industry, you know, in France with McDonald's. You're seeing that in many, many places, things that are ordering. You know, we've all were used to when we used to check out movies back in the day at the block store. And now you just go to Netflix and now you're seeing it on your, your phone. So, so things are becoming more automated, yes. So in, in any case, we are in a transitionary period from this labor-intensive economy, this manual labor-intensive economy, to a knowledge worker economy. And this is causing immense pain for people who are losing their jobs in a circumstance where they don't have many marketable skills. It's not like they inherently don't have the ability to learn those skills, but they don't have those skills right now. But there are tons of jobs in the information economy. So like you said, this is kind of structural unemployment. And these jobs are not necessarily hard to do or hard to train for, although you kind of described the situation of you know post-9-11 um, military people having a huge leg up on pre-9-11 people because they're better trained on things like instant messaging or Skype and just the ability to type, which we so easily take for granted. But while we are transitioning from this labor-intensive economy to this knowledge worker economy, assuming it goes in however way that you imagine it, how long do you expect this pain to last, this difference in... uh, the demands that the economy has of of workers and the ability of workers to provide that labor. I think it, it's going to last a good a good generation a good a good generation. Uh, there are folks who are, are not used to computers who are not used to it. they've been used to the phone book. They'll pull it out when they're looking for a contact. Um, I have you know family that are like that, right? Um, and then I have family who will easily jump on uh, on a, on an iPad. And, and navigate themselves right through whatever they need to do and do Skype calls, right? So it's a generational uh, divide. I think what the president is doing is a great step in the right direction. It's long needed. Uh, the folks up in Seattle uh, with, um, you know, leading the charge uh, with code.org and what they did set the momentum. Um, it got the president writing code. It got the president thinking about it. And those are the things we need to be moving forward on. Um, and, 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 and kudos to, to that organization for leading the charge because it really does start in the education system. It really does start at K-12. Uh, sons and do- all our sons and daughters, all our kids uh, have to be exposed to this, and it's going to take them building software at a very young age, them uh, being comfortable around it, uh, for them to gradually move into that. Um, again, that's a, that's a technical skill set. It is really a literacy, um, and, and that's what really what this is all about. Uh, this is a 21st century literacy. Maybe in the 18th, 19th century, it was for the nobility, and, 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 and they had to learn Latin. Uh, they had to learn uh, maybe even English uh, and customs and courtesies. Today, in the 21st century, that is, it's computer literacy. Right? You have to know not just how to operate one, uh, but how to dissect it, how to take it apart. 
how to build with it, how to leverage it, how to use it. It's not a scary thing. You just have to uh, be willing to make mistakes. Does our society have a mistaken assumption that humans by default do not want to work? I don't know. History has shown that, you know, that when there is a, a, a need and it is going to make your life less painful, you will figure it out, right? It's a dawn of, a dawn of time. Whether it was a flint figuring out how to get warm or whether it was how to survive in the woods and you had to figure out how to sharpen that piece of wood to survive, right? Um, we have seen that. Uh, and in the military, going back, they know how to be agile, uh, how to adapt to circumstances. And so we've seen that with, with even within Operation Code. People don't all join Operation Code. They find us after they went through code school. And then they're vets. And then they're software developers. And they reach out and say, Dave, I want to be a mentor. Give me an invite into Slack. And let me be a mentor in your Ruby channel or JavaScript. Uh, you know, I graduated from Flatiron or I graduated from Codefellows or I went through Galvanize or whatever, General Assembly. And so... You know, they find us that way. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, they're going to adapt. Humans will adapt. People adapt. Um, some more than others. Uh, so, which is why even within Operation Code, we're, we're making an effort not just to reach out to what folks within the veterans community, but also military spouses. To make sure people don't get left behind within the military community. Okay, so let's talk more about Operation Code. What are you doing right now with the project? Well, right now, uh, we are... Uh, we have put a, a, a package and a proposal together for, for, for our 501c3 status, 501c3 status, excuse me, and working with a CPA uh, on that package. It's been a very lengthy process because part of building a, a movement or organization or, or whatnot, it's about having a great structure in play, great processes in place. Uh, many things like in the military, we're used to standard operating procedures. It's about having those in play. And so we have been really working with the CPA to ensure that that document uh, is, is, is locked tight, uh, that we tighten up our shot group and it's perfect uh, so that we can launch this off to the IRS. We're aiming to shoot this off no later than 15 February. We've been working on this for the last few months. Uh, it needed to be correct in many instances. And the reason it had to be correct is because we had a fiscal sponsor. This time last year, we had a fiscal sponsor. And so that was very important to make that distinction because the first six months of 2015, it was testing the waters, figuring out if this thing was visible, if it was viable, and it was. And from that led to spinning off from the fiscal sponsor to grow uh, and to maximize not just on the opportunity, uh, but to support more vets and help them grow. Um, and so where we're right now is on infrastructure. It's on, it's on infrastructure, processes, and play. Um, and uh, it's ensuring that our board of directors has the tools and, and the procedures in play to be able to uh, support the growth of Operation Code. And so uh, we have assembled a great board of directors. It's led by an attorney, um, a Yale uh, uh, Law grad. Uh, he works for um, actually a a, 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 uh, a combat um, command. Uh, um, <laughs> I always miss this point. Down in Florida, and we have software developers on it. We have folks who went through code school on it. Uh, we have folks who work in startups themselves. Some of them in valuations over a billion dollars, like Twilio and Mattermark. Um, and so we're really focused on on that. On that process, we have to make sure that it's not just uh, you know has a strong foundation, but it's also it's also enables the opportunity to better serve uh, vets and military. If you ask yourself why, well, because Operation Code can't just be a Portland-based nonprofit that attempts to serve some veterans in the Portland market. We have to look at the picture in the big picture. In Oregon alone, for example, military isn't the big 
the big dogs in town, right? We have the National Guard, uh, who is every year going to Egypt, right, for the Sinai Peninsula, for that mission of the Sinai, and some in Afghanistan, right, some in the Middle East. But we're not the big guy. We're not the big dogs in town. To, we have JBLM just up north here, a joint base with McCord, right? Uh, we have Fairchild up in Spokane. We have a lot of Navy, a lot of Air Force up here in Washington State. So you have to look at the big picture. And because Operation Code is decentralized in many aspects, it's, it's in the browser, for say, it's in the Slack. We have folks who are still deployed overseas. We have folks still in Germany, for example, still guys in Maryland, Virginia. So we have to remain true to how the military actually operates. And that's global in nature. Uh, that's national in scope. Uh, and so it's about building those processes in place to better serve them. Um, long, long rate, and as we build this infrastructure, we're also looking at day-to-day operations. So day-to-day operation, uh, supporting vets on after they graduate co school to get employment with companies. So we work with companies to get placed. Last fall, uh, as we were supporting vets, once we spun off the fiscal sponsor and be able to, to truly support them in a much more effective way, we found that veterans who were graduating code school couldn't get jobs immediately. Um, so-called this concept of being a junior developer. They weren't there yet, right? They hadn't proven themselves. They were still new grads, newly minted grads. So we created this thing. It was very much of an experiment. Jeff, it's called Deploy. It's a software apprenticeship program. So we started it a few months ago. It's three apprentices, three veterans who've gone through code school, one of which uh, went through an apprenticeship program, and she went through it. The three of them are building a real-world app for a client, our first client. He's a retired Master Sergeant Air Force. This gentleman that came with us with this entrepreneur vision, I want to build this great e-commerce platform to share with the world that you know if you served your country in uniform, you've served. Hence the name served is the name of the startup, right? And so we're building his platform. Uh, this gentleman, uh, this retired mass sergeant, uh, Ralph, met him at Techstar Patriot Bootcamp two years ago, three years ago. He can't code. He doesn't know how to code. So we're building it for him, right? You ask yourself, well, that's pretty awesome, right? There's probably a lot of retired military who aren't going to join Operation Code to Code. Maybe Operation Code, your apprentice program, can build their apps. And that's exactly the point, right? It's not just a point to build their apps and help these veterans build their, their startup and get their vision you know, out there to the, real, to the world. But it's also about solving the problem that we've been trying to solve since day one, which is bridging the gap when a veteran goes through code school uh, and shorten the time gap to be a junior developer. Employability, right? And so it's about that, that those three veterans showing that they know what they're doing. They can work in teams. They know how to write assignments in GitHub. Uh, they know about the difference between a feature, a bug, and refactoring the code. Uh, they know about communication. They can delegate tasks to each other. And they know the difference between um, you know, Java and JavaScript, right? So they're, they're building these apps, and we're going to – this is a case study. It's an experiment. We're going to go to you know, client number two and three here very shortly. Uh, the intent is that our apprentices can go on to real jobs. Uh, they can get picked up by employers that we're working with because they've proven themselves, right? Um, because quite honestly, not all of us are going to have the GI Bill. Uh, some of us are too old. In fact, some of us don't even might have our GI Bill already used it. Some of us, it might even already expired, right? The GI Bill has an expiration date, just like milk and cheese, right? It expires after 15 years, right? And so that kind of sucks, but it does. That's a fact of, of our government, right? It just expires and lets veterans to fend for themselves. Because this apprenticeship program is going to be about, you know, having vets who have gone through Code Academy or some kind of curriculum, uh, self-taught or even on Slack, and they can uh, go in to be an apprentice and build these apps and prove to the world that they know how to do what they know how to do. And they can be contributing members of a, of a, of a software team. How can people listening to this episode of Software Engineering Daily contribute to Operation Code? 
Well, most certainly what we need is more than anything else is, is, is ambassadors. We need folks who, uh, who are great at what they do. We're not asking them to change what they do. Uh, folks who are great in financing uh, might work for a big you know, company that does finance in numbers and dollars. Uh, might get in touch with uh, our treasurer, our, our secretary, Pete Runyon, right? And say, hey, I work in money. And I have a great idea of how, how to build this, not your nonprofit, your guys' nonprofit to help fundraise more dollars so that you can better serve the community, not just operationally, but also in terms of scholarships, right? These are things that we don't know about because we don't work in the industry. Uh, if it's an individual who used to um, work in, in uh, works at a software company, he or she could be a mentor, right? They can get in touch with operation with us on our site at operationcode.org and be a mentor uh, to one of our vets. Uh, as a in our software mentor protege program, they could be a Ruby mentor. They could be a JavaScript mentor. If they're an expert in Ember, they could help teach a vet uh, an hour a week, an hour, uh, an hour, two hours a month, whatever, whatever they can commit, uh, and help a vet get there and start coding now and get coding faster, so we can help fill the nation's technical talent shortage. Uh, if it's an individual who works in nonprofit and they know about how to develop a nonprofit, they can get in touch with us and help us build this nonprofit. We're building this from the ground up, right? It's a community driven. It's volunteer driven. And so anyone literally can, can contribute. Um, if, if, you know, if whatever capacity of individual wants to donate, they can donate that now uh, securely with our site. Uh, we use Stripe, obviously, to do our transaction. And so everything is secured. Uh, and they can make a contribution as little as, as five bucks up to whatever people are individually comfortable with. Uh, if they work in media, uh, the, more, the more people find out about us. And we have found an increase in terms of growth for Operation Code. We've literally tripled in size. Uh, over the last eight, nine months, mostly to reporters and media, our good friend Sarah over at TechCrunch, um, you know, Lisa over at GeekWire, these folks, these women have just done tremendous in terms of getting the word out uh, to, to the broader audience uh, because people didn't find us automatically because they Googled Operation Code. They found us because they read about us in articles and news outlets that they readily read. And military vets are entrepreneurial. Uh, they're very mission-driven. So whether they're in a Kandahar or they're still in Iraq or they're in Florida, they're finding out about us because they read about us online. Great. Well, Dave, thanks for coming out to Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you. I'm a big fan of Operation Code, and I want to thank my friend Charles Seip for introducing me to you. Yeah, Charles was great. He was like veteran number three that signed up with Operation Code, and he was the first person that said, Dave, um, how can I help? And I asked him to help write an article uh, and, you know, get us get us some coverage. And so he did. He wrote a, a great story uh, that said why veterans will make excellent programmers uh, in 2014. Um, and he wrote it on Veterans Day. It published. And that thing, we doubled in size from three operation coders to six operation coders to nine. And we just kept doubling in size. Uh, Charles is, is a wonderful person. Uh, we've had great conversations. Uh, he is, she, she is, he, he embodies uh, the spirit of all of us, right? Yeah. And that we all have served our country. Uh, you know, we're all Charles in that sense. We, we all have families, a good number of us. We have children. We're trying to feed our children. We're also trying to adapt to this new world that we didn't see while we're in the military, which is the knowledge economy. We need to know how this thing works. And all we're asking for is an opportunity to build on it. Uh, and so he, he's that spirit. We, we are all Charles in that sense. I'm Charles in that sense. We all are. And so I'm really grateful that Charles introduced us in that, in that sense. And, um, and so happy that we got to connect and, and, and help share our story uh, with Operation Code and, and, and our fight to get more veterans and make sure they don't get left behind in the digital age. 
Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Dave. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and, uh, and we'll be in touch soon. Awesome.